0: Welcome to the CyberLife Podcast, where we help you learn cybersecurity best practices, give you a weekly update on the latest cybersecurity news, and share valuable career advice. Hey everyone, it's Ken. In this episode, we have a special guest, Rob Blackwell. Rob's the CEO and president of Cytech Services. He's uh, of course an IT and cybersecurity professional. He's got extensive experience, many, many years, He holds an undergrad degree in information systems management from University of Maryland University College, which uh, many people in my audience have gone to that university. He also holds a graduate degree from there as well in cybersecurity management and policy. Rob also holds a number of industry certifications, uh, PMP for project management, CISSP, CISM, and many more. Uh, He's really focused on excellence, uh, member of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, Um, And of course, those that know that fraternity will know their motto, which is uh, basically first of all, servants of all, we shall transcend all. And so he really focuses on serving others. And he's what we we traditionally these days would call a servant leader. Um, In addition to that, Rob serves on a number of boards uh, for the ICE Foundation, which is Innovative Community Engagement also help support organizations like the NAACP, National Urban League, um, and many, many more. I mean, I could go on for hours about Rob's background. But in today's episode, we're going to talk about cybersecurity careers and also how cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility across an organization. But in addition to that, Rob and I went a little deeper towards the end of this episode, and we have shared some wisdom that I think for I. Either aspiring cybersecurity professionals or for those already in the mix of things, I I really think you need to listen to this episode and just kind of absorb a lot of things we've talked about because um, I really feel that this can benefit you in the long term, even if it doesn't necessarily resonate right now. uh, I think longer term, it'll Stimulate some thought in in that big old brain of yours. So, without further ado, let's jump right in and speak with Rob again. Towards the end of the episode, you're going to hear some additional insight that's not specifically related to um, the questions that I've been asking Rob throughout the episode. So, stay to the end, or just fast forward to the end. Uh, but I do want to want you to catch some of that wisdom that we're sharing at near the end of the episode as well. So thanks again for coming on the show Rob. Today we're going to be talking about cybersecurity careers and also how cybersecurity is really everyone's responsibility across an organization. So Rob, I just want to dive in with the questions right away here. So for someone looking to break into a cybersecurity career, regardless of what that is, what are some of the key skills and maybe like certifications or do they need degrees? Like what's some of the educational background that you recommend they focus on along with the key skills?
1: Hey, good question. So the first thing I would say they need to decide what path they're looking to go, right? Are they looking to go more of a business managerial path or are they looking to go more technical, right? Um, the foundation of all of this, CompTIA Security Plus gives you a baseline of what's going So you could use that one, that certification for either uh, avenue that you decide to go. Now, if you're going to go more management after the Security Plus, I would recommend Sism, I would recommend CISSP and work your way up. Um, there are some other smaller certifications that you could look at uh, in that path. And if you are going to go technical, I would definitely look at the Security Plus, CASP, CEH, and then start going into some of the more of the hacking certifications. So, um, you know, especially learning a coding language or a scripting language as well, and becoming familiar with various operating systems. So, it really just uh, depends uh, what path you are going to go down to answer that for you.
0: So for the career seekers out there, Rob, are there any particular like online courses or or even communities that you were to recommend for them um, based on the fact, and we're just going to assume here that they don't have an IT background. So are there any like good communities out there or any kind of fundamental courses that you were, I know you mentioned like Security Plus, but anything else you might recommend for those brand new people?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, LinkedIn has a good learning platform. Saaberry.it is uh, really good. I've used that one personally uh, through my journey. Um, There are also other free options like Professor Messler on YouTube. He breaks everything down. Um, The one thing I'd recommend with anybody before they move forward with studying the certifications, just make sure that in their heart of all hearts, they're passionate about it because it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to be days that you don't want to study. You're tired of looking at the OSI model. You're tired of looking at well-known ports. You're tired of talking about the CIA triad. But, you know, if you dedicate yourself in a time, it'll all pay off because as you grab one certification and move to the next, the information is the same. Essentially, they just dive a little bit deeper. So um, Udemy, uh, Cyber.it, uh, LinkedIn's platform, um, YouTube offers some free content that I've seen. And another one, there is a cyber. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. They have a cyber D.C. meetup group where they get together uh, once a month and they go over different things like that, basically uh, accountability partners to help you study for your certifications as a group.
0: So, a lot of good information there. A couple of the key takeaways, I think for the audience, number one, it's going to take a lot of hard work. I I've noticed over the past, probably two to three years, maybe more, a little more there's, and I wouldn't say it's a large percentage, but there is a percentage of individuals trying to get into cybersecurity that at least the way they present themselves, it, it seems like they don't, think it's going to take any work. Like if they go to a boot camp, or they go get some college degree or like one certification, like sec plus, they think that that's their ticket in. Or if they go get a master's in cybersecurity, if they got an undergrad in something else. But the reality is like all of us, Rob, myself included, like we are constantly learning and we're, we're the people that a lot of people look up to, right. Cause we've been in the game for a long time. So I think that's a huge takeaway here is it's going to take a lot of work and you just have to, as Rob mentioned, even with just a search, you have to stay persistent because you're going to get tired of it. You're going to get burnt out on things. But but you have to really stay focused on that uh, the bigger picture of you know of things there. Um, and then another uh, key takeaway, I think, from what you just said, Rob, is local meetups. No matter where you are in the world, there's going to be other people interested in cybersecurity or that are currently working in some kind of cybersecurity career, or even just an IT career, and they're interested in security aspect of it. They're there, right? There's a lot of those local meetups. So just find some in your local area. There's also virtual ones as well. Rob mentioned like LinkedIn for courses, but also there's LinkedIn communities. Uh, Twitter. I don't know how many people are using Twitter anymore, but there's also Mastodon, uh, Twitch. You know, there's a lot of practitioners yeah. that'll stream things, et cetera. You know, so there's just a ton of things out there. Uh, another key takeaway you mentioned earlier, Rob, is, is you got to figure out exactly what you want to do though. Because you can, you can go down a million rabbit holes and you come out being just stupid. So just, you know, you got to figure out what you want to do first, and that makes it so much easier on where to focus. So I want to pivot a little bit, Rob. We've talked a little bit about the career people. We've done other episodes around, you know, careers and stuff. So I want to kind of dive into the the broader audience that might be listening to this on the the individual that's maybe not technical. And so really focusing on how cybersecurity, honestly, is everyone's responsibility in, in some way. You know, if you're an accountant, you're not. It's not necessarily your responsibility to go set up a firewall or you know something like that. But you do have some measure of responsibility. So, Rob, I want to ask you: How has the perception of cybersecurity evolved from just being like, "Hey, it's just a, the problem of the IT people," to now being a concern for really every employee across an organization?
1: I think uh, the main thing you, I would throw out there is like a social engineering attack, right? You know, typically when one of those occur, it doesn't have to be uh, the smartest IT person or or, you know, the best engineer in the group. It could be the secretary, it could be the janitor, it could be the security guard, it could be anybody, right? And I think when you take that in consideration, you know, it could be the janitor not locking the door, the security guard not paying attention when somebody's tailgating another person coming through the door. It could be uh somebody leaving their computer unlocked and to, using your example. It could just be a, an accountant, but now, you know, whoever that malicious hacker is and if it's an insider threat, it's even worse. They got access. You're letting them in. You're giving the keys to the front door. So I think what we need to know and understand is that hey, we all play a role in doing this right. It's almost like being on a sports team. Everybody has a position that needs to be played right. And by default, um, we should be ensuring that our data is secure. Um, if we see something that is wrong, you know, from a physical perspective, somebody that's not supposed to be in a particular area or shoulder surfing or something like that. We need to speak up and say things. So I think um, a lot of people, you know, it's funny how you said that about, uh, you know, just putting it over to the IT professionals or, you know, help their staff. That happens a lot. They almost essentially get blamed for everything, right? It's almost like they're the enterprise of all issues and they should be the solution of all issues. However, everybody plays a role in ensuring that that gets done properly. So, you know, um, like I gave you the examples about various people that are just in the building, right? Uh, the security guard doesn't do his job and the janitor isn't locking doors or the you know the staff isn't locking network closets. You run into an issue where now someone has complete access. And we all know the insider threat is the worst one. So if I already have access to the building, now you're granting me access to different locations. Now I'm running in, now I have the keys to the kingdom. And that's just from no, not using any form of a, you know technical strategy. That's just from being in the space. So I think uh, you know awareness to everybody, letting them know what their role is. You know, um, you should be doing refresher training and different things like that. But mainly awareness and having that conversation, letting everybody know that their role is very important and key to what's happening.
0: A lot of good information there. And one thing you you mentioned at the start was social engineering attacks, and I think when people think of that, they think it's some, you know, Russian hacker or whatever out there doing this stuff, calling them up in reality, as you mentioned, insider threat, I've been granted access over the years to places I should have never been. And granted, I'm a good guy, right? I'm one of the good guys, but it's simply because I was nice to people. I, I would, you know, tell them, thank you, things like that. Just, these very simple human, you know, just being my regular self. But if I was a bad guy, I could also leverage that to get into places within the organization I shouldn't be. So for those out there, understand that there's a reason why your company is putting in place like, hey, these certain people have access to, let's say the financial department and nobody else can scan their badge and get in there. There's a reason for that. Even if you think, hey, Rob's a nice guy or Ken's a nice guy, you know, it's it's not going to hurt if he comes in one day or whatever. You never know if that's the day that Rob's like, Forget it, man. I'm I'm tired of working. I'm gonna cash out and and do my thing here and cause chaos in this organization. So, a lot of good points there. Um, I want to dive into like some of the misconceptions. And, and Rob, I'm gonna leave it up to you whether you want to do this around cybersecurity career seekers or around you know the, the non-technical or or kind of the general public worker out there. But what are some of the common misconceptions that people have around cybersecurity? And and how can we as practitioners help overcome those?
1: I think uh, you you called that out uh, earlier when they think that uh, the responsibility is just the IT department. Right. Um, That's one of the largest misconceptions ever. Like I said, we all play a role. Um, You know, so from that aspect, high level, I would say that's one. Another one I would say um, is for the career seekers who, you know, may have been a program project manager their whole life or May have been into you know some form of risk management their whole life and they don't think that they could bridge the gap and use those same skills to jump into a cybersecurity career field. That's one of the bis- misconceptions. I'm a firm believer that you can you have to know where you've been to know where you're going. So you can use your previous skill set and still be successful in cybersecurity. So you just got to figure out what your niche is, like we uh, discussed earlier, and just build upon that. Right? And um, you know those are the two biggest misconceptions. I would uh, I would say that you know. One, you think that the IT professionals are responsible for doing all cyber related issues. And then two, you can't use previous skill sets to bridge the gap
0: and find and create a career in cybersecurity. Yeah, I think on the career side, especially, those transferable skills are, are so critical. And people don't realize that. I get a lot of comments like on the YouTube channel, like, hey, can I, I've got this background. Can I, I'm like, yeah, just like apply for jobs like you already have the, the skill set you need, honestly, for the job you're looking for. I think another aspect, and I've talked about this on the YouTube channel, and depending on where you're listening to this, if you're on just the podcast side, um, check out the CyberLife YouTube channel. It's at CyberLife TV. But anyways, uh, so shameless plug there. But the the there's a lot of jobs at cybersecurity product and service companies that are not, quote, unquote, cybersecurity, like in the job title. So, for example, project management, program management. Uh, you, Rob, you mentioned that. Uh, job, sales, marketing, et cetera, where you already have skills that can go right into that job. So you literally could get a job next week, potentially, and be working at Splunk. Well, they just got bought. So probably not good to go to them. There's probably some cuts coming, <laughs> but but other companies out there, you can go get a job with those companies and, and you can get in and get trained for free on their products or their, you know whatever service they're offering. And now you've got that company's name on your resume. It becomes so much easier than just than just someone that sends a resume in with security plus on it. Cause I don't know what you got, but if I know that Splunk took a chance chance on you, that means that you're probably a high performer more than likely because they saw something in you. And I'm much more likely to give you an interview, even if you don't have exactly what I'm looking for as a mm-hmm. hiring manager. So just something to, to keep in mind out there, you know, and Rob, I'm glad you brought up about the transferable skills. Cause I think people just, they just don't understand that they've oftentimes they already have 80% of what they need to get into whatever. You know what most of
1: that is? Having soft skills, being able to communicate, Mm -hmm. right? Some of the best developers are, you know, they're clutch when it's time to get things done. But when it's time to communicate requirements or, or strategic goals and objectives, it's difficult for them, right? Because it's just not the lane that they're in. But if I've been a program manager or a project manager for X amount of time, I don't have to be a technical expert. I have my software developer to To rely on. Right. However, it's my job to ensure that we stay within the business case and the strategic objectives of the organization and we move forward. So I think that is a skill in cybersecurity and tech as a whole that I think um, we forget about just having those soft skills, being able to communicate requirements and staying on staying on task.
0: Absolutely. 100% agree with that, especially as you continue moving up in your career. If you want to move into management, you better be able to communicate or you're not getting that budget that you want. That's just reality of it. Um, and things like sales, sales skills, negotiation, even marketing tactics, uh, human psychology, all that stuff. You know, going back to the soft skills Rob mentioned, all that stuff really plays out into regardless of what career path you choose in cyber. It really, really has a significant effect on your success. So I want to talk a little bit, Rob, about going back to those non-technical employees, right? those people that don't do cyber necessarily in their day-to-day. What are some of the fundamental best practices? And this is kind of a 60,000-foot view, if you will, because we're not focused on a particular niche industry or anything like that, and we're and we're not even thinking about what the company may have in place already. But just what are some of those fundamental cybersecurity best practices for those individuals that they can do in their daily routines to try to help enhance the overall security of the organization?
1: Um the easy one, I would say strong passwords. These folks that uh create passwords where they put like the kids' name, dash, the year they were born and different things like that, you're creating a vulnerability into the system, right? Um so I would say strong passwords would be the first thing that I would uh do. I would also say and a lot of people are enforcing it. Um Google, I know you have the option to do it, multi-factor authentication. Make sure if your account's being logged into you know, your is an audit log or some form of notification via multi-factor authentication, whether it's a text to your phone or a text to a backup email, so you know that those things are happening on um, your. Since we're not talking about the organization policies, I would say in your personal life, on your computer, ensure you have antivirus, ensure that you're doing the scans, ensure that you're not just looking at uh, the notification that hey, I have a security update applied. It's there for a reason, right? Because and uh, the last thing I would say too, since I, I brought up emails. Don't click on every link in your email, right? Look at the URL and the domain that that email is coming from. Because as soon as you click the link and you hadn't followed the other steps that we mentioned before, as far as, you know, strong passwords, as far as using multi-factor authentication, as far as having antivirus and different things on your workstation, you're now you're vulnerable. They know what you're using. They uh, have a live look at what virus, uh, I mean, what um, update you're currently using, what version you're on. So they know what all the vulnerabilities are if you're not patching your system. And now they have access to everything. So I think for the standard person, you know, who doesn't have to be a technical expert, just ensure you have antivirus and not just have it because I'm a firm believer with technology. I can have the best technology in the world, but I need to use it for its proper use case and needs to be tailored for its use case. So to have antivirus, make sure that you're running the scans, make sure you're updating the definitions, make sure that uh, with strong passwords, you're you know, uh, doing a strong enough password, which some of your browsers could help you with, but I don't recommend, but you do a strong enough password that you don't have to write it down and put it in your desk, because that's also another, um, you know, issue that you can create for yourselves, but strong passwords, multi-factor authentication, antivirus, and make sure that you're doing your updates and pay attention to what links you're clicking on in your emails. How would answer that? A lot of
0: good info there. So, I'll, I'll give a, i will give ai want to give a couple examples. So years ago I had Chris Roberts on the television back when I had the Cyber Life television show and he had a he had a good analogy. Now this was around the Nigerian prints, you know, email scams, which realistically you don't get too many of those in your inbox anymore. They go to spam automatically. But the the analogy was if someone showed up to your house and they pulled up in a car and they said, Hey, Rob, I just need five thousand dollars. They knock on your door. Hey Rob, I need five thousand dollars so I can call a locksmith to open the trunk. I got a million dollars in the trunk for you most of us would be like, get out of here. We call the police. A lot of us wouldn't even answer the door. We, you know, if we have guns, we get guns, we get the dogs, whatever, you know, to, to protect ourselves. But we, we forget about that stuff. Oftentimes when we go online, we think, you know, non-technical people typically, and I'm going to pick on you a little bit here, non-technical folks, but we think, okay, it's safe, right? I'm going online. It must be safe. And the reality is it's actually much more dangerous than, than your, your physical life oftentimes. So Rob mentioned things like, some antivirus, you know, or anti-malware solution. I'll give an example of that. Uh, I used, I used, uh, years ago, I used uh, malware Bytes, had it on a system, and I was just on a news website. And so I had a, uh, had a malvertising attack, and that's just malware through ad, the adver- ads you see on these different news websites and stuff. And anyways, um, literally it was a, um, it was back when Flash was a big thing. And so it was an, it was targeting an Adobe Flash vulnerability. But I literally, I just, all I could do is watch, right? As, as it hit, as it uh, downloaded from, you know, the, the malicious ad and thankfully, right. I had malware bytes. It immediately, as soon as it went to execute it, quarantined it, you know, protecting me, et cetera, but going to what Rob said, that's why that stuff is important. That's why it's important to keep things up to date. That's why I see a lot of small business owners like, oh, I'll update tomorrow, you know, with my windows or whatever. The reality is just update it. You you can do so much risk reduction. You can probably reduce your risk by like 90% just by having current, you know, antivirus or anti-malware solution. Um, and the two I recommend, and I don't know your preference, Rob, you can throw some out there too, but uh, Malwarebytes and Bitdefender are probably the two best ones I've found over the years. Uh, McAfee and Norton, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Trend Micro just because I've seen what they can't do and what can bypass them pretty easily. Um, but again, that's personal preference, but that's a couple out there for those shopping around. Um, I had a friend recently actually had McAfee and their laptop got hit and. It was, it was actually a very common uh, virus and McAfee didn't catch it. And I was like, yeah, you need to change, you know, get Bitdefender or Malwarebytes. But anyways, that's my thoughts. I don't know if you have any antivirus uh, or anti-malware. Solutions. That's actually funny.
1: We, we, we use the same ones actually. So, okay, exactly okay, cool, funny. Cool. so but you, you made a comment about uh, the smaller business, right? And, you know, in, in cybersecurity, you can get sued if you haven't uh, practiced your due diligence, right? um they call it the prudent man's rule the eighty twenty rule so if you have the ability to do your due diligence and actually patch your systems in a timely manner which in a lot of cases uh depending on what kind of business you're doing there's some form of regulation of compliance that you have to follow your patches need to be you know in the government depending on um you know the severity of what the patches, you know you have a certain amount of days to patch those critical patches in a small business if you don't do those things which i know um there have been several hacks of small and large businesses, um, ransomware attacks, and different things like that. If you don't do that, you're liable at that point in time, you know, because cybersecurity insurance wasn't always a thing. <laughs> you ask yourself why it is now.
0: Exactly. And the other thing I'll add there is small businesses are often part of the supply chain for these very large companies. And so if you think about that, even if you're a, I did a, I did a, a webinar, Um, So we're filming this in September for those listening, September, 2023. And I, and this is going to, Rob, I'm going to release yours a little early and put it out in October. But anyways, I did a webinar uh, here in, yeah, it was in September, 2023 with uh, the local city where I'm at. And those that know where I live can, can figure that out. But anyways, it was for small businesses and they did a survey before the event. And it was something like Ah uh, gosh, I can't remember the stat. It was either like 30 or 50 or 60. It was a good chunk of them didn't have a disaster recovery plan mm-hmm. at all. And, you know, and that's of course across any disasters, but we're also focused on the IT side too. And they also didn't have business continuity planning. And um, the majority of those on the call, or at least the ones that signed up for the the webinar, were service-based businesses. And I'm saying all that to say that if you're a service-based business, so if you're like most of them are are probably like coaching consulting, you know, HR consulting or or business coaching or whatever. You're still part of the supply chain. Even if you even if all you do is come in and do presentations for a corporation like a large enterprise, you're still part of the supply chain. You're still, you know, they may give you access to a system or something where you build them or, or whatever and that could be an avenue into that enterprise for an attacker. So it's really as Rob said, it's really your responsibility to to do the prudent thing and and do the bare you know kind of the bare fundamentals or the bare minimum of cybersecurity, because honestly, even just a lawsuit from a large company could take out your business. That's not it's even damage you, know.
1: you can't quantify.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then another thing, right? If think get if you get hit with ransomware, as a small business owner, like you know, or or if an attacker just compromises your social media and starts throwing a bunch of racist things out there, can you re- really recover from that as a small business? Probably not. And you may not even be able to get a corporate job again because they are like, well, isn't this you, you know, wasn't this you on social media? So there's, there's a lot of things that, that I think people just, the general public just doesn't think about They you know, to our, to our co- comments earlier about, Oh, it's an IT problem. There's a lot of things that that can really affect your small business as well. And even just your way of life, like what happens if you're putting photos on, you know, Facebook or videos on uh, what do the kids use? Um, it's like TikTok. as kids like i'm so old yeah um tiktok and uh oh, what's the other one snapchat um that the younger generation uses and rob and i are only 22 but the younger generation uses uh, snapchat and and you know they put videos on like they like one one uh woman i i encountered uh here in my area she was like yeah and she showed me videos like she puts videos of her, at the time I was a little baby what what are you going to like what's your response as a parent if an attacker takes that video that's wholesome and uses some AI and changes that video and starts selling it on the dark web, showing your little baby in sex acts. These are the things that people just don't think about. And this stuff really happens. You know, granted it may not happen to you because there's so many people they can target, but it may happen. Um, There's a former FBI agent that was on the TV show as well, uh, Scott Algenbaum. He talked about an example where his friend's kid got uh, extorted through, I think it was Instagram, Uh, sending, you know, some, some, or Snapchat, one of those uh, sending, you know, like some, some videos he probably shouldn't have sent or some photos he probably shouldn't have sent to an attacker. And then they try to extort him for money. Thankfully the kid, you know, contacted his dad and dad contacted Scott or whatever to give him some advice, but we all don't have an FBI agent. We can just call up right. Or a former FBI agent to to get advice on that. So um, to Rob's point, business owners, as well as individuals, there's a lot of things, a lot of fundamentals you can do, To really reduce your risk you know we talked about things like antivirus keeping software up to date etc these types of things i mean locking down your social media accounts using two-factor authentication that's all that means is you get a text message with a little one-time code or you maybe get it to email or you use a what we call an authenticator app like google authenticator microsoft authenticator where it generates a random little code for you and you type it in each time that is that in itself can, can vastly improve the protection of your social media accounts and reduce your risk. I'd say probably like 95%. Um, again, unless you're like some famous person or someone with a lot of money they're trying to target, but for the average attacker out there, that's just kind of spraying and praying, you can really reduce your risk from them. Anyways, we can go on for hours on, on this stuff specific, specifically, Rob. Uh, but I want to, I want to talk about organizations, as a whole a little bit and like, how, how can, you know, we, we hear the term uh, build a, build a security culture, right? That's, you know, on the buzzword bingo card, as we call it, that's one of the many words like zero trust and things like that, but like how can organizations really foster a culture of cybersecurity and, and kind of in a way build responsibility. We talked about the non-technical people a little bit, right? What they can do in their day to day how can organizations kind of take that initiative and 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 build that from the ground up to where employees have this have kind of a fundamental skill set a fundamental responsibility to really empower security at the organization regardless of what department or role that they're actually in
1: um i think first and foremost it has to come from a top down approach um and after after you have a top down approach of the security culture i think uh of course security awareness is one of the main things training and stuff like that but i think also you need to tailor that a little bit to the specific areas right uh finance may have their own um you know vulnerability areas where they could be attacked right the it department also could be attacked they're not you know immune to being attacked um physical security may have uh some things they need to go over so i think first and foremost it has to come from the top you know coming down letting them know what we're going to do as far as uh security culture that's going to come with awareness, that's going to come with annual training. Uh, some people do uh, buy annual training, depending on what it is, um, you know, with the refreshers, with acceptable use policies and different things like that, constant communication on when um, new policies change. I think that's important. But to, uh, the main thing I want you to uh, key in on is tailoring that for each individual section, right? Because Everybody's worked for an organization when hey uh check the box if you you know accept this policy. People download apps all the time from the App Store whether on Apple or they're on Google and they just want to get access to the app. They're not really reading the terms and the uh and agreements of what they're actually agreeing to, right? So I think the top down approach coming from a uh, senior leadership uh bringing that down, you know, having an overall awareness program and then tailoring additional stuff uh cuz you got to peak each individual's interest, right? If I'm just a finance guy, I'm not worried about what the IT department is doing, but I need to know how I'm being impacted from a finance perspective. Then now you're talking my same language. So I guess what I'm trying to say, meet people where they are.
0: Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of things you said there that, that are good. I'm going to share a couple examples. So on the, on the app side, you know, people download apps, things like that. There are a lot of uh, free apps out there. Like, uh, this particular example I'm going to give it was a, a screenshotting app. So you screenshot your laptop, desktop, whatever on your on your personal system, not an issue. It, like there wasn't any malicious intent from the app. You know, you could it wasn't trying to do anything. As soon as that, as soon as you downloaded that app on a on a system where it detected it was a business device, it immediately opened some back doors. And, and by backdoors, I'm just saying that it it opened uh, basically like FTP and things like that so it could actually um, you know potentially trans it w- it, it didn't because we caught the app in the act so to speak but potentially it could have exfiltrated data from the organization now there was no difference in the app like from the the user's perspective right there's literally nothing different between what it was doing it was the same app you wouldn't have known the only way you would have known was having a security tool that was monitoring that particular device and what was going on with it so I think people download these things and they just don't understand the ramifications of look, yeah, when you download it on your home computer, maybe there's nothing wrong going on and even there it might be you know pulling data off. But when you use a free app, you know, whether it's whether it's actually a malicious app or they're just trying to open and get and get some more you know um, data collection from your device of, of to kind of see what your interests and things like that are and some of the other software that you're using. But these things happen, and I think if you're ever going to download something, it's it, that's why it's so important to just use what we call the allow list. So if you need an app to do your daily job, work with your IT department, your security team, go through the requisition process to get it. Why do you need it? Um, is there an alternate app that maybe does a similar thing that that is approved faster? So do things like that, you know, because it's not just again going back to what we said, it's not just IT people or security teams' responsibility here. You as a user, you need to help. We we need your help. We we need we cannot do it without you. The other example I want to share, going to your point, Rob, of making it tailored to the individual is many years ago I did a, a security awareness training for um, clinicians and so nurses at a healthcare company, and they had been through a lot of security awareness training. You know the typical: don't click links and emails. You know we talked about that earlier and stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was never tailored. And I've never I've never really seen security awareness training tailored to specific like teams of what they actually care about, going to your point about the finance team or whatever. And so with, with these nurses, I'm, I'm a former nurse way back in the day, a pediatric nurse. And so I understand, I also did cardiology stuff, but I understand what nurses actually care about. And so when I did the training, I didn't focus on, don't click a link in an email. I said, when you click a link in an email, I said, this is what's going to happen. Your, your computer's going to lock up. You're going to spend four hours on the phone with IT after hours, trying to get it unlocked. Meanwhile, you're going to have to To do all your paper charting, you're going to be backed up. You're not going to get to go to the bathroom. You're not going to get to eat lunch. So, meanwhile, your kids sitting there at the school, you can't pick them up because you got to wait four hours on IT. And let's just face it. And this particular company, I was like, let's just face it, IT isn't going to answer. They never answer, anyways, right? Even I call them, they don't answer. So, I was like, like, you know, I brought up the things they cared about. And I said, also, think about if I if a bad guy comes in and, the, and you leave your laptop on lock to go grab you know something or whatever run to the bathroom real quick and the bad guy comes in I was like, oh, I can just mess with these nurses notes real quick and you know just type random things in. You don't notice that you sign off on it. Here comes the State Board of nursing six months from now saying, why did you what happened here? why did you die why, why is this here on this patient? why'd you give this medication? oh I didn't give that well, it's right here in your documentation. And now you're losing your nursing license and potentially going to jail and getting fines and stuff all because you left your laptop unlocked instead of just doing control all delete real quick because you didn't want to put your password, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, it happens in seconds. And and when I did that, dude, like they had a new, um, a new, um, you know, leadership team come in and HR sent a survey, like, Hey, we're trying to fix, you know, any issues in the company, want your feedback, blah, 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 whatever. Everyone thought it was a a hacker trying to get them. Like I literally had like three or 400 nurses, calling, emailing me, just, just blowing things up. Like, Oh my God, the hackers are coming, you know, they're trying to get us, whatever, you know? So, but that's a good example of like how, when you do tailor it, like Rob said, how it can actually benefit your organization. Cause I mean, I still go through security awareness training things because you have to, when you own your own business, you have to, you know, as Rob said, you got to do the due diligence stuff and they're all, I am an honestly, they're all just crap, you know? Yeah. They get fancy with like, Oh, they try to make them, you know, have, have, have it like the office, Television show, you know, that format of stuff, like, ooh, look at that. But the reality is they're crap because they're not tailored to what, what my particular team or what my people need to know, right? What they care about. And that's that's the missing thing. So if you're a security awareness training company out there, or even an individual that might move into that type of role, that is the missing link that will help you be very successful in the role or with your company that nobody else is. I, I, I haven't seen it out there. I really haven't. It may be out there. Maybe some companies are doing it, but I I have yet to see that. So anyways, uh, yeah, again, sometimes I go, well, I want to share those couple examples real quick. So emerging trends, Rob. So what what are some of the emerging trends out there that you think are going to have? And let's just focus on those those everyday workers in a company. What are some of the emerging trends that you think are going to have the greatest impact on them and say like the next 12 to 24 months?
1: man uh i think i'm going to go cliche here but i'm going to say ai ai is just taking over everything right now i mean i saw a court case uh, a couple months back a lawyer tried to use ai to write some of his documentation and uh you know it's not perfect yet and it uh, actually um put a case that didn't exist that's how he got caught but I think AI is getting ready to be huge everywhere. And that's just from um, the writing aspect, from what we talked about earlier, too. You can alter different uh, videos, music. I've seen a couple of things online where uh, the artist Drake, they had songs that were made by AI, but they sound just like him. I think AI is getting ready to be that that major emerging trend that we're going to have to, I guess, you know, uh, get close uh, hands around it because it, it could be good, it could be really bad. No different when cloud computing became very uh, popular, right? Everybody was afraid, and still to this day, to store their their things in the cloud because of security and this and that, and now, you know, more folks are starting to adapt to it, but um, I think it's AI, man. I think AI and machine learning, you know, I think folks are starting to see flashbacks from the old Terminator movies.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and, and we're also on the AI aspect. We're also seeing it already in what we call the wild. For those non-technical folks out there, the wild is just out in the real world, and so we're, we're already seeing uh, social engineering attacks, phishing attacks, and and even vishing attacks that are um, taking a modified voice and pretending to be you know Rob or myself or whomever. So we're already seeing that in the wild. I think that's something people need to keep in mind. Um, I think you know your point of the your example that attorney, I remember that one. Uh, that's a really good one. I think. The other thing is, I'm seeing too many, or at least hearing about, I'm not necessarily directly seeing this, but I'm hearing about too many people, like students in academia that are taking what like ChatGPT or BART or any of these other ones are telling them as like the holy grail. And a lot of the info from ChatGPT is, is wrong. Like it's, I mean, it's for me, I've tested it and like it's given me stats for studies that never happened. It's uh, you know, talked about conferences that don't ever that have never existed, conference names and things like that. So, I think anyone listening, you, you have to take this stuff with a grain of salt and remember, it's it's you know, this generative AI. Basically, it's predicting, right? So the the GTP GPT, excuse me, is predictive on text. You know, it's it's predicting text. So it's taking data it's been trained on and saying, okay, well, I think a human would say this is like the next word, you know, and it, and it can be pretty good depending on what the thing is you're trying to do. Like if you're trying to use it for like copywriting for a sales page, it's a good start. Right. For, so for, for small business owners out there, you could potentially replace your marketing team with ChatGPT GPT stuff. If you wanted to, if, you know, you're going to have to do a little work on it, but you could well, potentially, you know, use it for that, but, but it can be used for that. It can be used, you know, for like writing security policies, the basic, You know, to give, it's essentially, in my opinion, at least right now in its current format, it's really good for idea stimulation. It's not so good for like facts or, you know, things like that. And you can easily bypass the safety features it has uh, around like writing malware code and things like that. So anyways, you know, to your point, Rob, you know, not to, so for those tracking their buzzword bingo card, we've used another buzzword here, AI and machine learning. So check those off. But realistically, AI, it's here to stay. If you're a cybersecurity professional and you're not building up, your skills around generative AI you're going to become a dinosaur just like those people you mentioned the cloud Rob just like those people that still refuse to build any cl- skills around the cloud you know yeah. cloud environments those people are are having such a hard time finding jobs and they wonder why they've got 15 20 years experience but or even more but you don't have any skills around the cloud and that's what most organizations are using. Either whether it's a private or public cloud, they're using it in some capacity for some kind of storage or apps or, or something like that these days. But your so, point,
1: while though, I would say in, in the developer, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, and the way that technology is emerging, a year away from new technology is going to put you behind the curve any day of the week. Some of these individuals now are learning coding. You know, elementary school middle school, high school, getting a different exposure level than, you know, some of the folks that have been around for 15 to 20 years. So if you're not open uh, or more inclined to want to get out and learn the new technologies, you're going to get left
0: behind. That's a hundred percent true. And going back to what we, we talked about earlier, it it takes a lot of hard work and you got to constantly educate yourself to, to really remain in the forefront. And, and the funny thing is, it's kind of like back in the day before, the internet if you like way back in the day before the World Wide web was as popular as, as it is you know these days it's just kind of a natural thing people grow up with it but i i'm from the ancient days i don't know how old you are rob we won't ask because we don't want people to to try to hack you or anything like that but but back in the day like it wasn't like it was i mean like my exposure to computers growing up was a lot of like playing the game organ trail and like typing papers for 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 you know english class or whatever like it wasn't i wasn't on the net like like I, I am nowadays. And so back then though, if you just read books, you could be ahead of like 85% of your competition. And it's the same way actually these days, whether you read books, whether you take a course, whether you watch some YouTube videos, TikTok, you know, whatever, however you want to consume it, listening to this podcast or other podcasts around cybersecurity, you can literally get ahead of 85% of your, or more of your job competition just by absorbing more knowledge, by practicing your skills, etc. The key there though is showing it off on social media like on linkedin and stuff like pretend like you're a professor even if you're just starting out pretend you're a professor and that you're gonna you've got to teach someone else this so learn it and then, and then as you're learning it don't wait till you're done so like we talked about the security plus certification don't wait till you get sec plus every time you're studying something on sec plus go do a post like hey here's the cia triad broken down and here's how it here's how an example of it like in the grocery store like here's how I would, you know, if I was selling grapes in the grocery store, here's how I would protect the the confidentiality of the sign or, you know, or the grape, what you, you figure it out. I'm, I'm throwing it out there now and I can't think of it. <laughs> but let's say I've got a, you know, the, let's just say the integrity, the integrity of the grapes. How do I preserve that? Well, number one, I stop the people that eat the grapes. Like I have a, I'm going to have to hire a security guard to stand there because a lot of people come and eat from the bag of grapes. Um, and I won't say a certain race, but I think Anyone listening that's experienced, you kind of know what race in the United States eats a lot of the grapes out of the bags because we catch them there. Um, And anyways, they kind of look like me. I'll just give that hint. But anyways, um, how do you protect the integrity of the grapes? Well, we we have a QA process right in place to make sure that we don't put spoiled grapes out. We have a security guard standing there to make sure that people with their grimy hands don't come in and, and try to steal some grapes how do you protect the availability of the grapes? Well, we make sure that we've got multiple suppliers of the grapes, you know, and the confidentiality thing, I don't, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't really think of a, a good example, aside from the fact that we keep the grapes in a certain location of the store. So they're not out in the parking lot for anyone to to come grab. So we're kind of keeping them confidential, if you will. Anyways, that's probably not the best example, but but do something like that, where you relate what you're learning to the real world, whether it's a a generic example like that of grocery store or something in everyday life, or it's an example of how the thing you're learning applies in a company, you're going to be surprised at actually how many job offers you probably get via messaging versus you having to apply for a thousand jobs. So just a little tip for those that are looking for the first job out there, still, you know, with open to work on the profile, still trying to get a job, um, reaching out to Rob and I, that's not the solution saying, Hey, I had someone reach out today. Like, Hey, you know, find me a job. I'm like that. that Good luck on that. That's not gonna. I'm not gonna find a job for you, right? That's that's not gonna happen. But the more you present yourself as someone that's trying to give back, trying to help, and and that you're learning things and you can apply them to the real world in any capacity, the more likely you are to start getting job offers filling your inbox. So, Rob, we've gone a, a while here, and and I, I know you've got a lot of other things to do in life. So I want to ask you, and you can focus on one or both of these. Uh, target audiences. So I want to ask you any final thoughts or advice for either and either or the career seekers out there or the small business owners out there.
1: Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the collective. What I would say is I'm a firm believer that uh, iron sharpens iron, Proverbs twenty I'm a firm believer that it takes a village. You can't do it all on your own. Find a mentor. Um and in the process of finding a mentor, find somebody that's gonna pour into you. And after they pour into you, pour into somebody else. This is a continual circle of growth, right? And cyber and outside of cyber, anything, right? Um, find that mentor that's gonna make you better. And then, you know, figure out your why. That's most important than anything, Like You need to know why you're doing this because I tell you, I've taken a couple certifications and, you know, some are easy, some are difficult. Some take longer to study for than others, right? gone to college and done master's degrees and all that stuff is great. But some days you're not going to want to do it. Some days you're not going to want to get up and go into the office. Some days you're not going to want to deal with people. So you need to root and ground yourself with the right folks around you to keep you honest, keep you engaged, understand your why and how you move forward. Because I tell a lot of people who they see I've had some success in Sire and they want to do it. Hey, man, you're not going to stick to it if this, if your, own, your only motivation is money. I actually enjoy what I do. Yes, it pays, but, you know, that's not why I did it. I enjoy it. You have to have a passion for it. So ask yourself why. Find your passion. Uh, have that circle of accountability partners and mentors. I would say have somebody that you can learn from. Have somebody that you can pour into. And, and you know, keep moving forward that way. I think that's the best way of uh, getting it done. Everything is done with balance, and it takes a village. No one does anything on their own.
0: You have some great advice. And I think something you shared there in in particular is if you are just focused on the money, this is not the place for you because there are far, far easier ways to make a lot of money in a corporate job than to come into cyber. I mean, you can go into sales in any place and, and probably make a ton. But I, I think what you said there of of really you gotta you gotta want this because I, I did a job review. Training. I also did a, a free webinar for um, Black Girls Hack recently, but the same training I released um, in, a, in a webinar format It's less than an hour. Shameless plug, but anyways, one of the th- key things in there is is doing a self assessment. Is saying, okay, like on a scale from one to ten, how important is money to me? How important is time freedom? I, I know a guy that works at a smaller company. He's worked there for a long time. He doesn't. He doesn't even cross six figures, man. Like, but he's very experienced. Got a lot of service things like that. But he gets to get off at five o'clock every day to have dinner with his family. And the employer listened to like, they, like, that's his thing. Cause he was like, cause he was looking at bigger companies years ago. And, and, and the employer was like, look, we can't match what you're going to get elsewhere, but like, what's important to you. And he's like, he thought about it. He talked with his spouse and, and stuff. And he's like, you know, I like the fact I can come home and eat dinner with my family every night and I'm not working late at the office or whatever. And they're like, look, we can guarantee that for you. And we'll make sure that's guaranteed for you. And he gets that and he's perfectly happy. So I think, you know, things like time freedom, um, of course, you know, how important is money to you? How important is uh, autonomy in the job? Do you want a micromanager or you want someone to say, look, here's a problem, go solve it? How important is being in a good environment for you? Uh, how important is, is uh, you know, working in an office versus remote, you know, all these things. Cause you, you of course see the big push to remote, you know, or um, return to office RTO right now uh, while we're filming this. And so I, I run into so many people over the years that don't do a self-assessment like that. They just see the advertisement or they, they hear about cyber and from someone in college, they get excited. They see the money that idiots on YouTube are claiming they can make in a week with no experience, with no degree, no certain, you know, like, and, and oh, you're going to make six figures and get this job. And like, they don't even, there's there's one dude in particular. I'm not going to call out his name, but you people can go search for themselves. Claims you can get a GRC analyst job in seven days, make it six figures with no experience. That's like, I think somewhere around that, what I just said is, a jo- is the title of the video. So you can probably go find it, people that are listening to this. That's utter BS. It's just not realistic. And, and because in seven days, you you don't know how to use PCI DSS. The, you know you don't know how to use this CSF to to perform an assessment on an organization. Now can you take CSF and practice that in a week? Sure, with some guidance. Sure, it's deeper than that though. Uh, but you, I mean you don't well, even right.
1: see the policies and standards that you're being held uh, you know to the fire for right? It varies based upon the organization. So I wholeheartedly agree with you on that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. You know so so all that being said um, to to say that. Uh, as Rob mentioned, you you really gotta you really w- gotta want to be here, and that's why to what Rob said earlier as well. Figure out one career path, and that's a that's probably the biggest challenge, right? That I see people that I talk to they they list SOC analyst, cybersecurity analyst, cybersecurity engineer. Like when they say I'm open to work, it's like all these different job titles. No, pick one thing, commit to that for the next year. But Like no matter what happens, no matter what shiny objects, you know, whatever course comes out, what people on social media tell me to do, no matter what, I'm going to be focused on SOC analysts for the next year. I'm going to be focused on getting a job as a as a pen tester the next year, or I'm going to focus on cybersecurity sales. and get a job in that for the next year, a marketer, or I'm going to be a cybersecurity analyst or an engineer. Pick one thing. And, and again, to another point Rob brought up, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be days where you're like, oh my God, this stuff sucks. I mean, there's days when I'm like... Man, even though I like to do this and I love to to teach, there was actually a period the past couple of years. That's why I hadn't put out so much, uh, so many courses because I used to put out a ton of like cert courses, you know, things like that to help people. Dude, I got burned out. I was like, I'm just tired of you know. I dealt with uh, this this one asshole in particular. Well, it's my podcast. I can curse. I was about to say I shouldn't curse, but it's my podcast. <laughs> I can curse, curse if I want to. But I dealt with this one asshole in particular. I was like, I, I, I'm so tired of helping people, and it didn't matter that while, while I was dealing with that one asshole, there was, you know, a hundred other people saying, thank you so much. You changed my life and stuff. Cause I was focused on the asshole at that time. And so you're, you're, you're going to get burnt out. And I was on a podcast recently, and I think that either will come out in a few weeks or it'll come out, I think in November, December, um, they're going to let me know in the next week or two when it'll come out. But anyways, I was on there and I was, this is one of the, the bonus questions they asked me. I was talking about the mindset stuff. Cause burnout you're not going to always want to do it. And that's to, to another point of Rob, Rob had having that community around you of people that keep you motivated that, that when you're feeling down and you comment on their post or something, they're like, you know, you're a superstar or, or you get a random message from someone saying how you're their, their hero or you're their, um, what was one I, I forget the one I got recently, but basically like I, you know, I look up to you, you're, Oh, you're my role model like those little things. And I think, yeah, I, I think people don't realize that though, Rob, I think, I think people see others on social media and they're like, Oh, these people are always winning. I don't think they understand behind the scenes of even people like that are quote unquote at the top of the industry. We, we, we're still human, right? We still We still have feelings. We still have things we're going through and especially things outside of cyber. You know, people got relationships and all these other things going on Um, early on in careers. A lot of people don't have financial stability. So they're, you know, they're worrying about how do I pay rent next month? You know, maybe, you know, whatever. And so there's all these things going on. And I think that when people look at people on social media, they're like, oh, these people are only winning. This is great. That's not the truth. You know, most people are losing. You know, most people are losing, but we show a lot of people just show the wins.
1: It's funny. Kevin Hart uh, had a quote that everybody wants to be famous, but nobody wants to work hard. Right. And to your point. Right. uh, You know, they see you winning or whatever. You know, you're sharing those stories to motivate and inspire others that want to make it. You know, it's almost like uh, I hate to use this uh, examples like the celebrity treatment. Right. They don't see the human side of. Hey, I get up every day at 3.30 a.m. in the morning, man, and I'm uh, moving and shaking all day long until I put my head down on the pillow, right? You know, uh, career-wise, com- I'm a huge community service advocate. So, you know, through my fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, I'm always moving and shaking. And, um, you know, people don't understand what goes into that grind and what sacrifice you have to make, right? So, you know, it's important to have the right people around you, for sure, because iron should sharpen iron. I think the other thing, too, people need to realize... It don't have to just be one of us. It could be a collective. It don't, you know, it's not just one. It's not just one cyber expert is at the top or one individual in the world that's at the top. It's enough room at the table for everybody to eat and thrive and shine.
0: 100% agree with that. I think also, I I guess I'll call it a mistake. I, I didn't want to use the word mistake, but I think a mistake a lot of people make is they, they'll they reach out and, and want a, a mentor or a small group of mentors. And that's not, I don't believe in mentors. I've talked about this on, on other podcasts in the past. And, and, and I know audience, this is a longer episode than we normally do, but I think this is a lot of, we're just dropping nuggets of gold in here for all of you. And so I, I think that when people think of mentor, they think that like my journeys, you should follow my journey and you shouldn't, I can tell you right now, you don't want my journey because my journey there's a, there's a lot of ptsd from my time in the military in this journey there's there's a lot of uh things i went through growing up in this journey that you you do not assure you you don't want to experience that and so i, I think there's a misconception i i'm always i'm not a fan of the mentor stuff because i just don't believe in it i think there are mentoring moments and i think if you're open to them they can impact your life. I'll give an example. I uh, many years ago, way back in the day, when I first got started in IT, I worked in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was traveling um, between the offices. I was waiting on one of my coworkers, whatever. So there was this little cafe below, you know, this big fancy building, whatever. And it, it in hindsight, I, I never knew the prices of the cafe, so I don't know. But I thought it was always a, a rich cafe, like you had to be rich to go there because everyone was well dressed and they looked like they were, you know, corporate executives, whatever. So anyways, I was like, well, I'm, I'm broke. I didn't have money. You know, I had, I packed my lunch cause I didn't have money for tea, especially to eat, at, eat at that place. Anyways, I'm sitting there waiting on the steps outside of this place. And I just get this strong smell of alcohol. Like, like, it's just like this, this wave of alcohol just slams me in the face. And immediately in my head, I mean, it's the Bay area and, and now homelessness is a huge, you know, people are more mindful of it, especially around the U S and especially in the Bay area. But back then, it was, still an, it was still a big issue. It's just people didn't really talk about it and stuff. Anyways, this homeless dude comes around the, the corner. And, dude, he looks like he looks plastered out of his mind, red in the face. He's a, a white guy, red in his face. Uh, he looks younger, though, man. He looks probably in his 30s or so, 20s or 30s, maybe late 20s, early 30s. And um, he's got this uh, brown, brown uh, paper bag with him. And he sits down, uh, like, and I, in my head, I'm like, "Oh, please don't let this dude like sit next to me." Like, "Oh, come on, you know, I don't want to, don't want to deal with a homeless person begging me for money." So, anyways, of course, you know, naturally, he sits right next to me, um, and he's like, "My name is Tommy," and I'm like, "Okay, you know, you are kind of like, hey, how you doing? You know, stuff like that." Just, I'm just trying to be nice, and and in my head, I'm I'm believing like, okay, this is going to turn into, "Do you have any money for me?" And I'm going to be like, "Dude, I'm broke. I, I have no money to to give you." and uh and so he's you know we're just kind of watching there's like a lot of people just going back and forth i mean this is in the financial district of san francisco so there's a, there's a ton of people it's lunchtime just people on the sidewalk you know of course um, back then cell phones were, were kind of becoming a thing but they weren't like you know it's not like now where everyone's got one so some people were on cell phones some people were just like looking down on the sidewalk as they walked but basically people were, were not making eye contact with you know they're essentially ignoring each other and so we're just watching, you know just kind of sitting there like he's quiet for a few minutes just kind of watching people on the sidewalk i'm watching in my head i'm still like where the hell is this coworker? like how long does it take right it's like two blocks away and so because i'm trying to make my escape and so um tommy tommy finally speaks up and he's like can i ask you a favor and i'm like all right here it is you know this dude's gonna be asking me for some money i've already got my response plan he's like he's like do you see the people on the sidewalk i'm like looking i'm like in my head i'm thinking is this guy retarded like of course i see him right and they're right there um he's like you see how they how they look down and they look at their phones they look at you know the sidewalk whatever he's like they don't look up they don't look at each other he's like they don't see the world and so he's like i want you to promise me that you're going to look up and see the world Hmm. and i was like sure you know at the time i didn't understand that lesson until i thought about it more and really that lesson is looking up and and realizing the, at least my interpretation of the lesson, you know? And so anyways, to finish up that story real quick, before I dive into some of the stuff uh, he, he like got up then. And then he, you know, he went around the corner and the, in the smell of alcohol. It was almost like, it was all, um, if you remember Charlie Brown, there was that, like, I forget the kid's name. He was like that dirty kid where like in the, in the cartoon, he had like this cloud of, like dirt around him i can't remember the yeah which i don't remember his name you're talking about yeah yeah it was almost like that like this cloud of alcohol smell was like just around like like as soon as he got up and left around the corner it's like this cloud of alcohol just went with him and you know you smelt the fresh air again and, and i never saw the dude again um and uh and you know but anyways, the, the lesson on that i took from that was looking up and seeing and appreciating the world around you Whether that's human interactions, whether that's just the actual world in general, but just really living in the moment. And I never would have got that lesson if I was only wanting, and this goes back to what I was talking about mentors. If I was only looking for a mentor with cybersecurity experience, and that time it wasn't, we didn't even have the cybersecurity term as far as I know. Um, I was working in IT. But if I was only looking for someone that had a certain skill set or a certain college degree or or that, you know, was famous on social media, I would have missed that lesson that had such a profound impact across my entire life. And a lot of people listening to this, they know me because of my courses I've put out and, and the people, the, the, how I've helped people. None of that would have happened. I believe at least without that moment from that homeless dude. And that was, well, I don't want people to know how, how ancient I am, but that was a long time ago. Let's just put it that way. But if I had only been locked into a mentor, that lesson would have never happened. I never would have had that takeaway. And I've had a lot of people over the years from people working at a grocery store, stocking shelves, uh, people at a fast food restaurant. It's like these little, little things they'll say that maybe right then in the time, I don't recognize it, but a few months later, or even a few hours later, or, you know, like later you recognize that lesson. So Going back to kind of what we're talking about, like you you think you need like one person or a small group of people. It's me- I'm a firm believer in mentoring moments. Like I learned things from Rob. Rob learns things from me. Neither one of us, at least in my opinion, is a mentor to each other. We just have mentoring moments based on conversations we're having. I mean, we're, you know, we're we've taken this conversation from talking about cybersecurity for careers and and talking about cybersecurity for everyone to kind of go into into the mental game of things as I as I like to call it. So I think I think for those out there listening, regardless of your career, honestly, it's not this is not just for cybersecurity people. You know, if you're if you're a non-technical person listening or if you have a friend or family member, I encourage you that to and just tell them to fast forward through all the stuff we talked about to get to this part of the episode near the end. This is so important. Like you can get mentoring from anyone if you're over if your mind's open to it. And I think that's a lesson that people they just don't get, they get in their mind, especially if they go to college, you know, and I have a master's degrees and stuff like that. So I'm not knocking college, you know, I've got multiple degrees, but I I think we, we get ourselves in a bubble of, I have to have a mentor. I have to, I have to get a mentor or I have to get, you know, a couple of mentors. And I think that's the wrong mindset to have. I think the mindset is I need to surround my people with myself with people that i think you know success you don't want to surround yourself with losers but surround yourself with successful people with and go in with the mindset like i know that because i'm in this circle of people there's going to be mentoring moments i'm going to have because of the conversations or because of the introductions they make for me that are going to impact and change the course of my life i I think that's I think that's a mindset people need to have
1: I agree with that. I think that's that whole, you know, it takes a village and iron sharpens iron. Right. So like to have just cyber mentors. Right. You know, uh, I'll use this analogy uh, with like athletes, you know, a a track star. Right. You got to run your own race. You know, at at the end of the day, that's what you got to do. You got to run your own race. But I would say always be open to, you know, folks that you know have your best interests at heart, that circle, that community of people, that village, To you know, sharpen your iron. So, yeah, I think we speak in the same language. I don't think that you need to surround yourself with all the best cyber experts in the whole wide world or, you know, lawyers or whatever. You need to have that core group that's going to keep you hungry and motivated, you know, in the moments that you feel weak, that builds you back up. Or they might like uh, the gentleman you met in San Francisco, throw you a gem that you're not even thinking about, like we're doing on this at the end of this podcast right now. This is free game. People don't talk about these kind of things.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. If you're looking to secure your business better or build up your cybersecurity career, then check us out over at cyberlife.tv. That's C-Y-B-E-R-L-I-F-E dot T-V.